Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Listen, this has been one of my favorite series we've done yet. I just feel like it's been an incredibly fruitful series for us. How many of you have felt like it's been practical? Like you've just been able to apply it? Like one of our hearts for this church, for those of you that don't know, we've been here a little over two years now. And when we first started, there was about 10 people here. And from the very beginning, there was, there was this cry, this thing inside of us where we wanted church to not be complicated. How many of you have ever been to church that's been complicated? Okay, good. I felt like my whole life I would be I would go to church and it was extremely complicated. I couldn't measure up. There was all these rules. So so the cry of my heart as a kid who got saved at 18 from addiction and all kinds of stuff was, can we just make church simple? Like, can we make God accessible because He's accessible? Like the people who make God inaccessible are us, but God is accessible. All throughout the Bible, you see these promises where when we ask Him to come, He comes. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door will be open. And there are all of these promises where here's, here's the plumb line, right? God wants to connect with you. Like he wants to have a relationship with you regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of what you think of yourself, regardless of what people have said about you, he wants to connect with you. And so we've, we've, we've been stuck on this principal thing and we've not changed the subject that Jesus is everything. This, this church is not Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. And, and that we would continue to preach this Jesus and that we would continue to fall in love with him until he becomes our everything. Because Jesus is enough. Say, Jesus is enough. He's enough. He is enough. He, he satisfies. And the reason that we live in this world that is searching and searching but can never find is because there is a piece of your heart that is reserved for him. There is no amount of drugs, no amount of sexual relations, no amount of possessions or money that can satisfy that piece of your heart. This longing for connection. How many of you have ever been, like, I have some amazing relationships in my life. Of course, my wife. It's an amazing one. But, but I'm so thankful in my life that I have these relationships with some people that are around me that I know they love me. And you realize that when somebody loves you, that love goes beyond your actions. Like when you really go into a relationship, like a real friendship with someone, it goes beyond what you do and don't do. It it goes into who you are. So I love you because you. Like no matter what you do or what you don't do, and it's the same thing with the Lord. Some of you, some of us, we, we come to church and there's these barriers, these things that, these walls that we feel like, I, you can feel it during worship, especially. Like, I can't come to him today. He, you, he, you don't understand what I've done. And the question becomes, what if it has nothing to do with what you've done? What if it has everything to do with what he did for you? What if, like, that sacrifice on the cross, we believe that that was a real thing? This is not good ideology. This isn't, like, a good idea. He died. And when he died, he gave me everything. And because of that sacrifice, because of what was done on that day 2,000 years ago, I don't have to live angry. I don't have to live bitter. The Bible says that I can come into his presence with boldness. What does that mean? That, That when I come into this kind of environment, like how many of you felt the Lord during worship? Like it was tangible. 
That means that in that place, I can boldly step in and say, I belong here. You say, well, what if I made a mistake? Well, that's okay. That's what repentance is for. We believe that repentance and holiness and all of that is important. But the, but the way to achieve those things, the way to achieve righteousness is for you to see him. It's for you to come to the, to, to the end of yourself and say, oh my gosh, I can't do it. And then you go, oh, but he can. And it's freeing. It's freeing for you. So, so maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord and you feel far, far away. I would say to you today that that is a lie. I would say to you today that every time I found myself running from God and I felt super separated and I felt super angry and all of these emotions, as soon as I turned around and I gave him my affection, I found him. It's as if no matter how hard I ran, he was pursuing me. He would only let me get an arm's distance away. And this is good news, and I know this may not be the God that you've been preached. Because I've been a part of churches, and you probably have too, where it's like, God is angry, and you got to be better, and you got to be better, and you got to do more. But the truth is, without him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, apart from relationship, we can do nothing. And so the first week of the series, we talked about being poor in spirit, meaning that every part of who I am, that, 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 that I die to self-reliance. How many of you know that relying on yourself is one of the most dangerous things you can do? Yeah. Why? Because then you're living based off of your feelings, and if you've lived long enough, you know your feelings will lie to you. Yeah. They're, they're, they will lie to you. And so we talked about relinquishing this to the Lord, and then week two, we talked about learning to identify with who God says we are. I don't want to see myself the way that, that, that I see myself or the way that people see me. I want to see myself the way God sees me. Is anybody, anybody, like, I want everything he says about me in this book, like, I want it to be true, and every word from the devil, I want it to be a lie. Like, I, I don't want any thought in my brain that isn't from him in my brain. I, I want every part, every, every word spoken over me as a son, and that's what it really is, Right? That, that I wouldn't focus on, my, my focus as, as, as being a part of this church is not to be a great pastor or a great leader. My job is to be a great son. That I would realize that from this place, the Bible says that we were once orphans, but now we have been adopted. That is good news. You know the powerful thing about adoption? Listen, I have a son and, and I love my kids. They're amazing. But there's something so powerful about adoption because adoption is a choice. Like in the middle of everything that had happened, God said, I chose you. And this is the same thing he's done for you today. And so we've been talking about making space. And today I would, I would beckon you, I would ask you to make space for first love. One of the hardest things that we do as we grow and we grow, and we've grown really fast, and there's been a lot of growing pains and a lot of things that have happened. But, but one of the things that becomes the most difficult, I would say, is keeping the main thing in front of you. In the middle of everything that's going on and all of the issues, how many of you have issues? Good. Everybody's hand should be up. <laughs> or we'll pray for you at the end. No. In the middle of all of these issues and all of these things going on in life, life is life, right? That we would be able to, to keep the most important thing in front of you, and that is that you would love Jesus with all of who you are. You say, well, how do you know that's the most important thing? Well, in the Bible, we read in Matthew 22, and this is something we've read over and over, but I'm going to hammer it down. Like, I'm going to hammer it down until you, you go to sleep thinking about this. <laughs> a religious person came up to Jesus, and they had been trying to entrap Jesus. 
And they were asking him all kinds of questions. And then they came together and they came to Jesus with one question. You've got to know, in this time, this was a time where they lived by law. And there were 400 and something laws. Like, it must have been exhausting to, like, serve the Lord at that time. And they come to Jesus and they say, well, out of all of these rules and regulations and things, what is the most important? They're trying to trap him. And Jesus is like, this is a no-brainer. Like, this, this to me is easy. He goes, this, this is what you got to do. If you want to, if you want to serve God, this is what you have to do. And I want to read it to you. This is the Passion Translation. Jesus answered them, this is the greatest commandment, that you would love the Lord God with every passion of your heart, with all of the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. And so he categorizes all of the commandments, everything that you see prior to, everything in the Old Testament to these three little things, that you would love God with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. That every part of who you are, and I think this is important because the Bible says that we, there is an enemy. Like whether you know it or not, there is an enemy and he's trying to destroy your life. And here's the truth, man. Like the devil doesn't have to get you to live in gross sin to ruin your life. If he can keep you distracted with garbage that would stop you from focusing on the main thing, he's already won. And so God, Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. Love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Now, if I was the enemy, and the, according to the Bible, it says that he has been sent and he steals, he kills, and he destroys, what would be the things that I would attack? Now, if I was the enemy and I was trying to derail you, the first place I would attack would be your mind. Like, let me draw you a pretty brain here. If I was the enemy, the first thing I would do to you, knowing that what God wants from me is for me to love him with everything that I am, I would begin to plant lies in your brain. Some of you have experienced this. So you would come into a church service and you would be like, well, well, I can't, I can't, sir, like I can't give my life to him. I'm a bad person. You're not a bad person. The truth is that Jesus died for every single one of us, which means righteousness is available. But if I could plant a seed in your mind that has you to believe you are not good, then you would live from that place believing you have to do bad. Let's go furthermore. Let's say it's not about you being bad. Let's say somebody would come up to you and they would offend or they would, or they would do something. The enemy would try to cause division in your heart and it would start with a, with a thing in your mind. How many of you have experienced this? I have. Things have happened to me and I'm like, I can't be around them. <laughs> like, I just want to punch them in the nose. And I can't punch someone in the nose and love them at the same time. I'm reasoning, right? And the enemy would begin to plant in your mind these things. And what is the, what is the point? These are the things that distract us from first love. They are the things that would derail us from giving every part of who we are to him. Because whether you know it or not, bitterness, resentment, anger, anything that causes you to not think of yourself the way God sees you would separate you from him. And so I would begin to plant a lie in your mind, and eventually that lie would seep into your heart. How many of you know the heart is the seat of affection? It, it carries this thing where everything, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like, what is inside of me coming out of my mouth comes from my heart. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart above all else with all diligence because what's in here will manifest out here. Yeah. 
And so now I've, I've had a seed planted in my brain and it's made its way to my heart. And once that thing takes root in my heart, it begins to affect my soul. And now I find myself in this place where I don't want to come to church. I don't want to worship. I don't. You, you put in the thing. And we begin to judge, right? How many? I've done this. Like every time that I, I'm struggling in my mind, it gets into my heart, then it's in my soul. I become very critical about everything. That is not God. That cannot be God. Those, those people are not real. People are not real. Am I preaching? I'm talking to you about what I've been through. And so I want to preface this because this is important because I believe God has given us a recipe. That's good news. Like the good news is that we, like God, he protects our mind, our heart, and I don't know, this can be soul. Nobody knows what shape a soul is. Stop it. There's no shape for that. And so we see people in this cycle, man, where the devil has them on this hamster wheel of going through motions and motions and motions. And God is saying to us today as a church, I'm making this very, very, very simple. Like I have made it very simple for you to access my presence. And, and the question becomes, well, what does that look like? And, you know, I read, I, I was reading this week and I read this statistic about how by the time, by the time Judah grows up, even the generation before Judah, they call them Gen Z, they will be the first generation ever that will be post-Christian. Like every generation, my generation, the generation before me, it would be a natural thing in the United States for us to enter in and say, well, we are a Christian nation. But the more we go, the further it gets away where Judah will, will grow up in a world where they no longer identify as Christians. Like the main belief is no belief. It's, it's, it's the, the statistics say there is a belief in nothing. And what I believe, the song we sang today was so good. What we need is not more churches with better songs or better programs. What we need is a genuine move of God. Yeah. What we need is for people. I'm not, I'm not talking about shaking and tingling or running around with flags and wailing. I'm talking about people who would give all of their heart, all of their minds, all of their souls. And they would be vulnerable and they would be honest. And they would, they would here's what, I, they would take off the mask. We're so good at this. Like the moment people walk in through a door and it's like they, like they, in their, it's in their car, whoop, ready for church. <laughs> but that we would get to this place where we would realize it's okay to not be okay because Jesus made a way for us to be whole. And in community and in family, we have the opportunity to step into something we would not be able to step into on our own. It's why I've given my life to this because I tried it on my own. Like, I tried, how many of you have tried it by yourself? How many of you know it's hard? Like, it's really hard. And God has given us, and this is what I believe, I heard a sermon this week that so touched my, it put words to everything that's been in my heart. And they were talking about the state of the church. And they were talking about the church of today and the emerging church. Like, what is coming? And it's what I believe that God is raising up a remnant of people. Like, he's raising up a group of people that would be real. Like, they would be real. Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't speak the Christian language. They wouldn't worry about what people thought. You, you, you know if you've been here any amount of time, we don't really care. Like, we're, we're not a church built for sinners. Like, this church is built for the Lord. And that may ruffle you the wrong way, but, but I've seen the product of what comes out of a church that's built for people. And so you should be glad, like your heart should cry out to say, we are a part of something that the main priority is God. Yeah. 
that everything that we do from our programming to our kids to our youth to when we give, it is the good shepherd that is leading us. So we don't make our priorities based off of what would people think or what would make them happiest. (laughs) Our priorities would be, what is God saying? How does God feel about what we're doing, what we're preaching, how we worship? Is he satisfied with 21 minutes of worship or should we give him more? Should we give him all? Can we go the extra song? Are you alive? Because this is what's coming. There's a weeding out. And some of you feel that tension because God has been calling you for years to more and to deeper relationship. And to, you go to church and you're like, I just don't see the connection between this and the book of Acts. And I would say to you, I get it. I get it. But I would say to you, we can't give up. The Bible says, do not grow weary in well-doing. Meaning, while God, yes, yes, why God, while God has put something in our hearts and it's burning, our job is to fan that flame and not to give up when things don't look the way we think they should look. Yeah. I'm telling you, the, the moment we came here to Lithia, the first six months of this season, uh, my best friend Eddie in the back, I love you, bro. Did I call you and not say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing in this place? Because when God gives you a dream and you see it and you write it down and all this stuff is going on, you're like, God. And then you see in the natural what's going on, you're like, oh my gosh. And I'm saying to you today, maybe there are things in your life that drew one breath of God away from everything changing. I, I stand on this stage now and I think to myself often, like in between worship, I think, what, what, what a mistake would it have been if we would have given up? There were so, and there's always opportunities, people calling. You should come here and you should, there's always opportunities, but not every opportunity is a God opportunity. Like the the biggest enemy of great in your life will always be good. It will be the very thing that will stop you. If, If you can settle in, well, this is good enough, you will be robbed of great. And some of you are here today, you're like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I'm talking to you about you living a better life. I'm talking to you about what I believe the Lord is doing in this day where he's raising up a company of people that it's not about how you dress or what you say or the way you talk, but it's about what's going on in here. Like, how is your heart doing? What is the Lord speaking to you? Like, we're moving beyond a day where we ask people what's God saying, and they're like, I don't know. Because people are realizing that God speaks. Like, he is alive. So how do we remedy this? How do we give God all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our heart? I believe it is simple, and I believe it's found in a a scripture that we have preached many times in this church. I want to take you to Luke 7. I got to preach this. Listen, I heard something similar to this this week, and I just knew. How many of you have ever heard something like, "That that is God? Like, you've heard a worship song, you're like, that is God. That happens to me with sermons. I'm like, this is God, because I believe that God is changing the way we look at church. Like, for a long, long time, we've looked at churches. Like, many people, many of you, you're sitting here, you're like, I never wanted to go to church. And I don't really blame you, but I'm, t- I'm telling you today, God is changing what church looks like. Yeah. He's changing our DNA. He's giving us fresh eyes to see things the way we couldn't see them before. So I would say to you today, stop judging today's church based off of yesterday's experience. Because he is doing a new thing. And the biggest thing that will stop you from experiencing God tomorrow will be what happened to you yesterday. It's quiet. I don't want to let go of that. 
So I want to take you to Luke 7, verse 36. Wow, that's great. Good job. In this story, Jesus is being invited into a home of a, of a religious leader. This was a Sadducee. And he was a religious person of the time, and he was inviting Jesus into his home. And he wanted, I believe the heart of this person is he wanted to get to know Jesus better. Like, here's the truth. I, I believe in my heart that people want Jesus. Like, Jesus is too good for people not to want. They just don't want everything that's associated with him. And here's a man that finds himself in a place where he's heard about the miracles, he's heard about the life change, he's heard about all the things that are going on, so he invites Jesus into his home. And I want to start in verse 36. Afterwards, a, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus into his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. And I want to stop here. And I just want to say, and I want you to hear this today. Every single time the Lord is invited, he comes. Like, there's a scripture that has kind of been cornerstone to this church, and it's been, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but, but it's this, when we lift up the name of the Lord, he draws all men unto him. Like, when his name is lifted high, like, when, when we magnify, like my wife was saying, when we magnify him, he draws and he changes and he transforms, and he does the work. And so you need to know that when we come as a church, this, this is what we do, this is the church of today. We prepare a table. We got our chairs. We got our fans. We got our sermon. We got our meal. We got everything prepared that we need, and we've invited Jesus. But the question becomes, and here's, here's the, the question for the day. What do you do when Jesus enters in? Like, it's no different than the story of Mary and Martha. Martha invited Jesus into the home, and Jesus accepted the invitation, but she didn't know what he wanted. And so here's a man, Simon, and he's invited the Lord, and Jesus takes his place at the table. And I love this because I love, to, I love the thought that anytime I reach out to him, he comes. It wrecks me. I was talking to our leadership this week, and I just want you to know the leadership of this church is the healthiest it's ever been right now. It's just amazing. We were talking on a, on a call, and I had everybody share for like 40 minutes, what is God saying to you? For 40 minutes, they went around and just shared what God had been speaking to their hearts. And it was the one thing after another. And it would build one after another. But here's the main thing we would hear. Not from a place of condemnation or shame. People were saying, I feel like I have to give things up to have more of him. Like in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, when God told the people to go consecrate themselves and purify themselves, they, they went to, God commanded them, go to this place and rid yourself. The Bible says the actual Greek word is divorce yourself from everything that would hinder this relationship. And so this is what God is doing. And so back to the story. He took his place at the table and enter in verse 37. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets. She was a woman of the streets. Known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster. She filled it with the most expensive perfume she had, and she went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and she knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all of the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears and fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened up her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. And so if the church of today 
is Simon setting a table for the Lord but not understanding what he wanted. I believe the church of tomorrow is this woman. I believe what's coming, like what God is calling us to, this, this invitation to come and to come is an invitation to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I love that God would use, that the scripture would use an immoral woman. A woman who everybody else marginalized, like as soon as she walked through the door, everybody probably thought, what is she doing here? But she had premeditated, she had heard about this Jesus, and she made up her mind, like you, I hope you do. She made up her mind, I will not let anything stop me from reaching his feet. Like there was something inside of her heart that said, if I can just get there, I will find wholeness. I don't believe she went with any expectation. I just believe there was something in her heart that said, I have to go low. And so some of you are frustrated, and I understand. And it's like, well, we should do more programs and more discipleship. And I would say to you, until we get this, nothing else matters. No program, no program. There's There's no system I can put you in to get you to find the feet of Jesus. And this has, been, this has been kind of the journey the Lord has had us on. Where he's cornered us. Like we have some amazing people on our leadership. And, we're, and we have giftings and talents, but that the Lord, he continually strips us of all those things. And he says, I want it to just be me. Like, but God, what about this? If we taught on this? He's like, no, 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 just me. And like once they fall in love with me, then we can move on to the next thing. And so here, enter, here's the picture. Simon has prepared this amazing ceremony. It's a party for Jesus. You, there's a table. And in this time, the people would sit. It, it would, they really didn't have chairs. They would sit on the ground on a cushion, and their feet would be pointing out, away from the table. Everybody's doing, this is the truth. Everybody who was with Simon and Simon, that day they invited Jesus to be entertained by him. We invite him in and we say, Jesus, now you do. And all of a sudden, this woman walks in, a woman of the night. And she disrupts the whole party. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're on course two of five, course two of six, and the whole party's ruined because there's this woman on the floor that is crying, and everybody's like, what the heck is going on? And I feel this every week. Sometimes I'll stand up on the stage, I'll be crying, and I'm thinking, like, these people are going to think I'm so dysfunctional. Like, they're going to think I have mental issues and all these emotions because sometimes that kind of extravagant, see, in my chapter, this chapter is called extravagant worship. There was no song. Like, Covington wasn't standing behind her going, none of that was happening. Because extravagant worship has nothing to do with song, has everything to do with what's happening in your heart. That even though I feel broken and I feel like I don't belong, and you look at all the people at that table and you're like, I don't know if I fit in with those people, that you would say, I will not miss my opportunity to sit at his feet when he's present. And so now the woman is crying. She's wiping her feet and Simon is like, watch this. Her act of worship, 
like her act of extravagant worship, her ability to go beyond what everybody else, her attitude of saying, I'm not going to wait for you to, to do something for me. I'm going to do something for you. Something rose up in the heart of everybody around. So now Simon, the guy who started the party, is like, whoa, this must not be, this must not be a prophet. In his heart. Because how many of you know the Lord knows what's going on in your heart? Like the Bible doesn't say he said it. He thought to himself. Like her act of worship caused him to, to introspect. And his immediate response was to be critical. Well, this, might, this must not be a prophet. If he would have known this woman, he wouldn't have said, he wouldn't have allowed her to wash his feet. And Jesus speaks to her. And he speaks to that. And what is he doing? He's showing us what it really looks like. He's showing us who he really is. Because we have this image of this perfect Jesus. If I get my life together, and if I give this much, and if I serve this much, and we've become good at this is the machine of church. We've become really good at doing, and we've made love doing things instead of being with him. So like we take this commandment, love God with everything that you are, like if we do more outreach, or if we give more money, or if we do this, when, when all of that is good, when we have the right motive. Who am I to breath? And so this woman is sitting at his feet, and Simon begins to say to himself, this must not be Jesus. And Jesus goes into this parable. And he says, let me, let me tell you a story. There's two men, and one owes the, debt, the debtor $100,000, and the other one owes $10,000. Neither one of them can pay back the money. So the debt is forgiven for both of them. Who do you think would be more appreciative? And Simon goes, well, the one that was forgiven $100,000. It's a good answer. And then Jesus redirects, and he goes, that's her. And I want you to see this today, because I feel like a lot of times in church, we begin to look out and we say, well, that's not the Lord. Why would she dance that way? And why would he scream that way? And do you really have to scream hallelujah or amen? But I would say to you, those who have been forgiven much love much. The reason I worship the way I do, the reason I refuse to be a part of a church that worships three songs and goes through the motions is because I have been forgiven much. He freed me from addiction. He took away all of my garbage, everything that I was, and he renewed me. And so he's worthy. He's worthy of everything. Like he's worthy of my praise, my adoration. He is my hope, my inspiration. He is everything that I am. And I would say to you today, this is the lesson that Jesus wanted to show Simon. You think you have it all together and you think that it is enough to invite Jesus in. But until you give of yourself something that costs you something, you don't know what real love is. You don't know. And so now Simon, you got to think, is like, well, crap. I invited you in. I fed you. I did everything. And here's what Jesus was showing, because he goes into this discourse and he says to the man, I came in and you didn't give me water for my feet, which was customary at the time, for them to wash their feet. He said, you didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't greet me with a customary kiss. You didn't do this. Everything that she had done, Simon had not done for her, for him. What's the point? Jesus is showing us he would have received these things. Like you have to know that your voice matters. Like sometimes the reason I stand up here and I say, why don't you sing this out? 
or why don't you declare this, is because your voice matters. Like God is pleased with your voice. No matter what, no matter what, no matter where you find yourself today, he is pleased with your voice and he wants to hear you. And so Jesus is saying there are things to be, to be received. He receives. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Like there's not one word or movement in worship that is done in vain. Everything that we do is received by him. And so I just want to talk, can, I, can you give me five minutes? Because at the very end of the story, Jesus says something that I believe is so, so, so important. At the end of saying to Simon, you didn't offer me, you didn't offer me, he turns back to the woman and he says to her, all of your sins have been forgiven. All of them. Which probably were a lot by the way she was being judged. Now in the Greek, this word forgiven it could also be, be the word sozo or healed or delivered, meaning in this moment of her life, she was completely restored. Her spirit, her soul, her mind, every part of who she was was not restored. I want to ask you a question. Did this woman ask for forgiveness? Like, what did this woman do? All she simply did was throw herself at his, such a vulnerable position. She throws herself at his feet, and now he looks at her in the middle of all the ridicule, and he says, all your sins have been forgiven. She's been completely restored. And then all the people say to themselves, who is this man who thinks he can forgive? And Jesus says to her, your faith in me has given you life. How many of you know that's good? It's good. Because I want that. Like, I want life, not the life that, like, corporate America USA is going to offer. I want real life. Yeah. Oh. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace, which is good, the ways of shalom. And so in this moment, every part of who she are, because she was willing to throw herself at his feet, and he was willing to receive her no matter where she found herself. She now finds herself in wholeness. And I would say to you today, all you need to do to find wholeness in your life is to find yourself at his feet. This woman only offered three things. And I want to go really quickly through these three things. She offered tears. I believe tears in this represents pain. And I know we're really, really good at doing church and giving God everything when everything is going gravy and good, but God wants your pain. There's something about you offering yourself to God in the middle of your pain that is so beautiful to him. I believe it. The Bible says that in your weakness, he is made strong. So I believe the Lord is actually attracted to your weakness. I believe that. So I would say to you, if you find yourself in a painful moment where you're like, I don't know why this is happening. I feel abandoned. I feel marginalized. I don't get it. God, I'm angry with you. I would say to you, give it to him. Yeah. Like, well, how do I do that? Just say it. Your words are powerful. God, I give you this frustration. God, I give you this pain. God, I don't understand. You begin to, you've got to learn to change the way you talk. Too many talking, too much talking about the problem. God wants you to prophesy the solution. To speak life. Because what you speak becomes what you see. And so he, she gave her tears, which represented 
her pain. It represented her frustration. And God is saying to us, I want you to bring our pain. She gave him kisses. I believe kisses, it represents passion. And I believe like in this age where there's so much hard-heartedness, like it's so, like I don't know why we just want to be hard. Like we come to church like, like there's a tear coming down. We're like, suck that thing back in. Like, nope, nope, nope. I'm a, I'm a man. I believe God's breaking that. And here's the truth, man. God will not come into your, like, I just picture, like, my heart being a living room. This is just my experience. Do with it what you will. I've never had God break through my door and start rearranging things. Like, there were years in my life where I had a very hard heart. I had some questions that if you were to hear them, you'd probably be like, why is he on stage? Eddie knows. But the moment I opened up that door and I said, I don't know what to do with this room anymore. You got to fix it. He began to, he began to rearrange. And I began to give him my passion. Passion is what's seated on your heart. It's why God says you must protect it. And so we learn to give him our passions and our desires. And we learn to say, God, every part of who I am, I am giving you my passion and I'm becoming passionate for you. I don't want to cheer for a basketball team more than I, that, like harder than I worship him. Does that make sense? Like I don't. Like I want Jesus to be the last thing I think about when I go to sleep and the first thing I think about in the morning. Like for real. And I want people around me that when I'm not doing that, they would say, go back and pray. You need Jesus. My wife does it all the time. You need to go pray. You need to go find him. You go find him. Don't come back until you find him. I'm giving him my passion. And the last thing she offered him was oil. She offered him this perfume. And I believe that represents our resources. It represents our talent, our treasure. And I know in a world full of give me, give me, give me, mine, 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 this is hard. It's so hard, like, even to take up an offering anymore. Like, here he goes. He wants my money. Oh, my gosh. Blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, until he has my resources, he does not have all of me. I can't separate what I have from who I am. What I have is part of who I am, and if all of what I am is his, then all of what I have is his. And so what God is training us to do as a body is to give all of ourselves. I'm giving him my pain. I'm giving him my passions. I'm giving him my purpose. And what he does is he gives you back. The Bible says he gives you beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, peace for happiness. There's this exchange that has to take place in your life. Like God will let you hold on to your pain. He will. I've just seen, like, I just know. I've walked with enough people when when I see them dealing with bitterness or frustration, I just know until they let it go, they'll be trapped. Because love is the choice. And for you to fully love God and for him to fully love you, it means you have to choose him. For you to be stripped naked and bare and have everything that you are, it takes you saying, God, I want you to take everything that I am and make it everything that you are. You have to speak it with your mouth. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give opportunity Hey, guys, can you get ready? I want to take communion today. Cub, you can come up, bro. And I want to give you an opportunity today, and I, I just want to make space for this. My wife's giving me gum. She's like, your breath is stank. 
I can smell it from the stage now. That's real love, you see? You know somebody loves you when they tell you your breath stinks. <laughs> I'm just messing. I want to make space real quick for us to, for a few moments. I want to take communion. It would be very inappropriate for us to talk about the table and us coming to the table and worshiping him. I feel like without taking communion. And the Bible says we take communion to, remember, to remind ourselves of what was done for us. Not just what was done for you, but what was done to you. Do you hear me? It wasn't just done for you, it was done to you. And when you apply the blood and the body of Christ to your life, it changes everything. I have seen people take communion and their body be healed. Because the Bible says that in his stripes, by his stripes we were healed. And so today as the guys come on, you can go along and pass it. I'm going to give you just a moment to just think about your life. And I'm going to give an opportunity for any repentance that needs to take place. And then we're going to take communion together as a body. And I would just say to you today, I believe everybody has the opportunity to take communion today. I don't care how far or how close you are to God. Every one of us can look inward and say, God, is there anything in my life that's separating me from you? And so just for a few moments, just bow your head and ask him, God, is there any heart surgery that needs to take place right now? No condemnation, no shame. Super easy. We'll pray because the blood of Christ is enough, and then we're going to take communion as a body together.